Welcome to Therese Talk. I'm your host, Therese Main. Thanks for joining me for a journey through faith and through family and finances. A little bit of food mixed in there, too, because, hey, we're all in this life together, right? In just a little bit, we've got a special guest joining us, Carol McLeod. We'll share some from her new book. She's blessed me personally, and I know she's going to lift you up, too. Your purpose today is to love Jesus. Your purpose today is to know him better and to tell somebody else about him. You don't want to miss it. All right, it's been a while since we've had an episode of Therese Talk, and you might have wondered what's going on. It was about mid-November that my father-in-law was put in hospice, and then right before Thanksgiving, we said goodbye to the patriarch of our family. It was an experience that is almost impossible to describe because it was hard, but a beautiful blessing at the same time. That's what makes it so strange. My father-in-law, without a doubt, knew the Lord. In fact, I remember when I first met Scott, listening to him just say grace at the dinner table, and he would speak so confidently about the hill on Calvary where Jesus gave his life. And it was without a doubt that he went into glory when he passed from the earth. In fact, I want to share a little bit about his final hours. Scott was able to stay at the hospital with him. That's my husband. And they tell you when someone is in hospice to leave every hour and to let them know that you're going to go for a bit, but that you'll be back. Sometimes people don't like to pass on while their family members are present. They just don't want to put them through that. And so Scott got ready to leave and he said, Dad, I'm going to go for about 10 minutes and take a walk. And when he came back, Dad was gone, but he had this huge smile on his face. Without a doubt, we know that the last thing that he saw on earth was a vision of his future, a vision of heaven that without a doubt, he walked into glory and into the presence of his Savior, his Savior, who so willingly gave his life on Calvary. If you're not sure what would happen to you if you died today, would you please find out? If you go to FLN.org, that's our radio website for family life, there is a box that says, do you know Jesus? In the privacy of your own home or your car or work, wherever you are, even on your smartphone, you can find out what it means to know Jesus, to know without a doubt that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. If nothing else, do it for the sake of my father-in-law's memory. It would bless our family tremendously. I like to save money. You like to save money too, right? (laughs) I used to do extreme couponing every once in a while. It wasn't something I could do every week because there's not a coupon for everything. And it would be thrilling, you know, to get double coupons and to pay almost nothing. But I just haven't had time lately to clip and sort and make my list and everything. And yeah, we still go to Wegmans because you can't live in this part of the world and not love Wegmans. But I've been spending a little more time at Aldi. They built a new one near our house. And it's fascinating to me the different things that help them keep their prices low. If you've ever been in one, you know it's a lot smaller. And so they don't carry as much variety. They also don't have music playing in their stores, which means they don't have to pay for music royalties. Of course, they don't bag your things. You have to bring your own bags and you have to return your cart on your own. So they're not paying people to go grab carts and things like that. But one of the things I think is most fascinating is a community. Uh, In fact, 
I don't know if you've discovered the Aldi nerds on Facebook. Some of their groups have over 700,000 members, and they chat about things like peanut butter cups. By the way, if you ever go into your Aldi and you see there's like no peanut butter cups, it's probably because you have Aldi nerds going to your store. They talk about these Chick-fil-A copycat sandwiches made with the brioche buns and the frozen fillets. And then they talk about the Isle of Shame. That's where you can get, you know, like the kitchen supplies and the Christmas presents and all that stuff that's not really food. But I think more than anything, it's this sense of community. It's this sense that we're trying to make a little bit more out of what we have, that we're trying to provide for our families in the best way we know how, and that we might be doing it in a way that means, well, we have to bag our own stuff and return our cart to get a quarterback. But it's this idea that we're all in it together. And so I don't know if you've ever checked out those Aldi nerds online. Maybe you've got some tips for saving money. Go ahead and email them to me at theresemain at fln.org. Thanks for listening to Therese Talk. It's episode two. I promised you a little bit of food. So how are your New Year's resolutions going? Have you decided to go low carb this year? A lot of people are doing that. And my family has found some pretty easy ways to substitute for things like pasta. I mean, we love pasta. I love homemade sauce and meatballs and sausage and all that stuff you put on it. But the pasta is the part I have trouble letting go of. The truth is, it doesn't really make me feel great afterwards because when you stop eating things like wheat and then you start again, it just leaves you feeling kind of ick. So one of the substitutions that we make a lot of times is spaghetti squash. Now, I know that spaghetti squash can be kind of intimidating if you've never made it before because it's like a oval-looking, creamy yellow squash. comes in all different sizes. One tip is when we get to summer, and you can get them really cheap at like farmer's markets, get as many as you can. Basically, you cut it in half. You're going to need a really good sharp kitchen knife for this. And you want to cut it in half long ways. Then scoop out the seeds. You don't want to dig too far into the flesh because it's stringy, which makes it look like it's part of the seeds, but that's really the part you want. And then you roast your spaghetti squash. There's a couple different theories to how you can do this. Some people like to roast it flesh side up so that it dries out a little bit so you don't have run you know, spaghetti squash pasta later on. Some people like to flip it down onto a greased piece of foil on a baking sheet so that it cooks a little bit faster, whichever way is fine. And you want to cook it until it's slightly tender. It shouldn't be super tender because then it's going to be mushy. Once it cools down a little bit, you just use a fork to pull out the strings and it does look like spaghetti. Now, if you've roasted it face down, it's going to have a lot of moisture. And even if you roast it face up, sometimes it does too. So you can kind of put it in a colander and let it drain out a little bit so that you don't have a big puddle of water on your plate. And then just use it like spaghetti. It'll even twirl onto your fork. It's kind of fun to eat. It does have a little bit of a crunchiness, like a real al dente pasta, but I think that you'll find the carb count is worth it. Another thing that my family will use in place of pasta is broccoli. 
quickly. I know that seems weird because it doesn't look at all like pasta, but especially if you're doing like an Alfredo sauce or you've got chicken pieces in there, the broccoli is a great complement and it's just another way to get some veggies in. I think once you start to substitute one of these things, you might not miss the pasta as much as you think you will. Now, I've heard and actually tried lasagna recipes that use thin slices of zucchini or eggplant, and I can't quite get it to work. I think maybe there just isn't ever going to be a proper substitute for real lasagna. It's just too good. This episode's special guest is just a delightful woman. I'm so excited to be able to talk to her on this occasion of having a new book. Carol McLeod spent a lot of her life in Western New York, so you may have gotten to hear her speak at Kingdom Bound or different churches. And the truth is she likes to come back to Western New York, so you might even have a chance to do that again soon, even though she's relocated to be closer to family. Carol, I'm so glad you're on this podcast with me. Thank you, Teresa. I'm so excited to be with you. I just want to be your friend. Would that be okay? Well, I think we already are. (laughs) um, You know, and that's one of the things that I love about you, that, that in the few times that we've been together, you know, speaking at an event or just running into each other is that there's such an ease um, between our communication that very quickly I remember sitting down with you and having you encourage me deeply and profoundly. And somewhere along the way, there's kind of these two factions of Christian women, those who encourage and then those who tear each other apart. But really, uh, there's only one way to do it that really honors God. Yeah, you know, in Hebrews, it says to encourage one another day after day, while it is still called today. Okay, if you're searching for God's will in your life, there it is right there. You are called to be an encourager. You're called to give a good report. You're called to look for something good, to go mining for gold in somebody else's life. That is God's will for your life on a very specific level to encourage each other day after day, as long as it's called today. That idea of mining for gold. Some people you have to dig a little further, agreed? Oh, sister. Yeah, some people it's hard to find the gold. But you know what? It's there. They've buried it under years of offense and bitterness and maybe rejection, maybe abuse. But there is gold inside every person. But, Therese, you know, sometimes when it's buried deeply, as you pointed out, it takes longer to get there. You know, I've been thinking lately about how there are short-term missions trips and long-term mission trips. And I love short-term ones. You know, I I can do the hard for a week or 10 days or two weeks, but to go live on the Nile River for the rest of my life, like that that stretches me. And so it is in our relationships with each other. Um, Some relationships were called to just short-term, but sometimes we're called long-term to go mining for gold in a person. So we shouldn't get discouraged or frustrated, but know that we're reaching out with the heart and the hands of Jesus. It's what Jesus would do. For women in the church, uh, sometimes we get confused about our role, that somehow we are lesser. We are definitely different than men in the church. But as you look through the history of the Bible, the women who have been used in deeply profound ways, Miriam and Jochebed with Moses, the faith of a mother to put her baby into the river and change the course 
of history, uh, Rahab, to step out in faith and into the lineage of Jesus. I mean, there are some women who really went out on a limb for God, and he blessed that, and he used them. So he does use us. So I have just, over the last few days, gone on a treasure hunt in scripture to find out exactly what women did in the New Testament church. And let me just read a couple to you, okay? So you and I, Therese, know about the resurrection because two women were told to go tell. Um, Junia in the New Testament spent time in prison because she was a faithful witness. Phoebe, Paul chose Phoebe to deliver his letter to the Romans and to minister to people there. Nympha led a house church. Eudea and Sintich were leaders in evangelism. And, you know, God can use women. Um, we're, as you said, we're different than men, and that's okay. That's actually a good thing. We're not cookie cutters. Um, we're moms. We're, we're sisters. We're aunts. We are teachers. We're encouragers. And we tell the story differently than men do. And that's okay as well. You know, when, when God created Adam, um, it was the first time God said, something's not good. Something's not right. And he said, Adam, buddy, it's not good that you're alone. You need somebody else. And so God created a woman. And then that was the first time that God used the word very good. He said, now it's very good. When women walked onto the scene in history, God, the creator of the universe said, oh, something very good has just happened. We are so quick, though, as women to forget our significance, to forget yeah. our significance in the kingdom, in our families, in the way that we serve. Why is it that we get all wrapped up with our emotions and we believe that versus believing like the truths in the Bible? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that a ridiculous um, truth? You know, it's because, Trees, the world shouts at us so loudly. Our culture shouts so loudly. Our emotions are strong and powerful, and they bully us. But what we must do as women of faith is extract our significance, our identity, and our purpose from the word of God. Because let me tell you, Teresa, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm 64 years old and nothing else has worked for me. Um, I can lose as much weight as, as possible and I still don't feel significant. I, I can have my dream house. My kids can all be behaving. And yet there's still something gnawing at me. And the thing that's gnawing at me is that I am not finding my identity in the word of God. You were created to hold the fingerprint of God in your soul, regardless of your income, regardless of your academic pedigree, regardless of your marital status, regardless of how your kids are behaving. You are significant because you've been made in the exact image likeness of God. Let's talk a little bit about those emotions. They can get all in the way of everything. And, and there's some in the Bible about how the heart is wicked and deceitful. That kind of speaks a little bit into emotions because when we let them drive the ship, we get all off course. But 
man, God made us with emotions and women more than men, I think. So what do we do with them? What do we do with them for a profitable thing for the kingdom? Some human emotions are biblically allowable. While some human emotions, the Bible says, no, don't go there, such as fear and worry. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That's truth from the word of God. Um, you know, we do get to be angry, Therese. We, we get to be angry, but we only get to be angry for 23 hours and uh, 59 minutes, and then it's got to be over. And the problem is most of us have brought anger from our childhood or from 20 years ago into today, and we're still dragging it with us when it's supposed to be done. We're supposed to deal with it short term. But then, Therese, something beautiful I discovered about human emotion and the word of God is that we do get to experience a broken heart because the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. So I think what we must do, even with human emotion, is hold it up to the mirror of the word of God and say, what does the Bible say about this emotion? What does the Bible say about bitterness? And, and that's where we need to extract truth. Because as you said, in Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful. The heart, our feelings don't always tell us the truth. Our feelings real? Yeah, they are. But that doesn't mean they're healthy. And it doesn't mean they're truthful. We must take even our emotions and say, what does the Bible say about this particular emotion? Loneliness. We're never alone. We're never, he promised never to leave us or forsake us. You have a new book out called Significance, which is directed at women, how to become a woman of unique purpose, true identity, and irrepressible hope. And so how can we find out what our purpose is, find out who we are, find out what our hope is in. And I just keep thinking maybe the answer is the Bible. Yeah, you know, I might <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. You know, we go looking for purpose in all the wrong places, Therese. Even women of faith do this. I mean, my goodness, I've done it. Um, but what we must do is, is hunker down. That's one of my phrases I use, hunker down in scripture and extract our identity and our purpose from the word of God. Just like I did at the beginning of the podcast where I said the Bible says to encourage each other. Okay, that is our purpose as men and women of God is to be encouragers. So when words come out of your mouth, if they're not encouraging, that's not your purpose. Um, there are other places in scripture where it says to serve one another. So how can I serve somebody today? That, that is my purpose. My purpose is to develop a relationship with Christ in everything I do during the years I'm on planet earth. Um, there's so much that, that God has called us to do, but we become all entrenched, all um, mixed up in, in things that we think are important, but they're not. So purpose for the women who are listening today, your purpose today is to love Jesus. Your purpose today is to know him better and to tell somebody else about him. Your purpose today is to encourage the people in life. Your purpose today is to serve and forgive. I was really thrilled a while ago when I was on my YouVersion Bible app to realize that you have written some devos that are on there. Yeah, I have. I think it's about 15 devos on there now. And the most popular one is called 21 Days to Beat Depression. And it's just 
again, a Bible reading strategy with, with other things involved to help people who are battling depression. And again, I say, go see your doctor, go see a counselor, but never forget the power of your faith. And Therese, so there's been almost a million downloads of 21 days to beat depression. And every week we hear from a single mom in the Philippines, a pastor in England, a student in Africa, whose life has been changed by the power of the word on, on you version in some of our devotionals. So it's a great uh, way to minister. I, I think if I could maybe describe my purpose at this season of my life in a phrase, it would be digital discipleship. I mean, I was greatly impacted by a scripture, Acts 13, 36. And it says, and David, when he served the purposes of God in his own generation, then he went to sleep. And so first of all, the Holy Spirit is still talking about David a thousand years after he lived. How cool is that? And then this scripture tells us that David had purposes that were unique to his own generation. And so we have purposes that are unique to our generation. And it includes radio and the publishing industry and podcasts and blogging and and you version and TV. And so, Therese, I will take anything that's unique to my generation to tell the story of Jesus. That's why I'm here. So again, the YouVersion Bible app is totally free. All of your devos are totally free on there. And so if you just search for Carol McLeod, you can find it. She's got great encouragement, too, on her website, which is carolmcleodministries.com. And the new book is called Significant. If you've ever wondered for a second who you are, where your hope should be, and what you should be doing with your life, well, this book will get you started, and uh, it's newly released. Carol, thanks so much for being with us. Grace, I love you. Thanks for being my friend. old were you when you heard the phrase, be good? It's something we say to little kids, but goodness, in fact, is a fruit of the spirit. It's something that we can access and use as soon as we become a follower of Jesus. The word good is in the Bible 720 times. Goodness appears another 50 times. So what does it mean to be good? That's a question that was posed in our church's discipleship program. And I've been working with a friend through this discipleship. And one of the questions we came upon this week gave us two very different answers. It may be easy for us to consider the example of Jesus and the good things that he did. How does thinking about Jesus' life help us to be good? I immediately went to the idea of salvation. When we realize the sacrifice that he made, it doesn't make ours seem so big. That allows us to be good to people in a sacrificial way. But the woman I'm discipling had a different point of view. She said that when we follow Jesus' example, we can be good to anyone. Whew, that hit me hard. I mean, Jesus shared his goodness with harlots and lepers, and people living in sin. Yet we kind of qualify people. It's so easy to be good to people who are like us, people who are clean and happy and friendly. But I don't think that's us sharing goodness the way that Jesus did. In fact, we need to share his goodness with the people who need to hear it most, that through the goodness that we have from the fruit of the Spirit, 
that they would come to know Jesus. I want to close with this scripture verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let your goodness point back to Jesus. If you've enjoyed this episode of Therese Talk, we're so thankful. We are listener supported and you can help keep us going when you give online at fln.org. Next time, we've got an internet sensation that I know you're going to love catching up with. Yes, Esther Anderson will be with us on the next episode of Therese Talk. Therese Talk.